0: Hey friend, we're Lisa Lord and Sarah Jacobson, and this is The Christian Business Breakdown, a podcast for faith-led business owners to start, build, and scale their business, all without second-guessing their every move.
1: We're former teachers turned business owners who finally broke down and let go of trying to run our businesses the way everyone said we should. If you're ready to become the expert in your business and stop trying to do all the things, we've got you covered. You can start with Sarah or level up with Lisa all right here on this one podcast.
0: It's time to set aside your never-ending to-do list, pop in your earbuds, take a deep breath, and join us each week. We equip you with the tools and skills you need to be an empowered CEO, discerning the best strategies to maximize impact and income for your unique business. And we even have a little fun along the way.
1: We love practical business strategies, Jesus, and keeping it real. It's time to break it down. On today's podcast episode, we have a very special guest, Dr. Garrett Hope. He is a Christian business coach, and he is going to be talking to us about how to leverage God's truth about money. What does God actually say about money for us and in our business? And you might be surprised that some of the things that you think are actually holding you back in your business. Stay tuned to the very end of the conversation, because it is my favorite part. And really, I have just been pondering what we talked about for the last few weeks. So so stick around till the end and i hope you enjoy this conversation as much as we did
0: all right welcome garrett to the christian business breakdown we're so glad you're here with us so we would love to have you just tell us a little bit about yourself and your business and and what you're kind of the expert in
2: sure i'm happy to be here thank you for the invitation so i am a coach and a speaker and a professional composer. I uh, help business owners and entrepreneurs shift their relationship with money so they're in control of their story and can take courageous action.
1: I love that. That's great. I would love to know a little bit more about your journey from being a professional composer, and I know that you have your doctorate in music and doing that, and how you moved into what you're doing now.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know... Sarah, you're a recovering educator, as am I. (laughs) I call myself- I love
1: that. Lisa is as well. She's a recovering teacher. Okay. So (laughs) we've all
2: kind of walked those doors, but I'm a recovering academic. I was doing music and got all the degrees, got the doctorate and was teaching in higher education. And uh, the story doesn't need to be told here, but I ended up leaving academia, and when I was making that switch, I began asking myself questions about what does it mean to be a composer? I've been calling myself a composer, a professional musician, but I've been paying the bills by teaching, and that's Mm. when I realized that I'm a small business owner, and I started digging deep into all of the things that it means to be a small business owner, learning that new skill set, along with marketing and basic entrepreneurial procedures and skills and on and on and on. And because the way God wired me to be a mentor and coach and a teacher and a speaker, I started my own podcast in 2015 called The Portfolio Composer. And that's all about the business side of writing music. And as you know, as teachers, people often come to us and start conversations based on who we naturally are. So I feel like I've been a coach my whole life, but I didn't really start doing it professionally until maybe 2016 when I began doing this big pivot away from teaching into business ownership. And I thought I was going to transition just into composition and I still write a lot of music. In fact, I just won a big award for some uh, film score that I did, but congrats. Thank you. What really captures my heart is helping people make their own transitions in their own lives. And so that's when I began investing heavily into coaching and so on. So right now, that's why I say I don't wear as many hats as I used to, uh, even though I also lead worship at our church, I'm on staff at our church, but I'm primarily focused right now on helping these people, primarily business owners and entrepreneurs change their relationship with money. And sometimes that means creatives. I've been focused on coaching creatives for a long time, but God's been calling my heart into new areas in terms of that. But it's just taking the same skill set and transferring it to a different area.
0: Yeah. I, I think lo- as business owners, like we have to wear so many hats. Like when you get into business, you don't get into business to do taxes and to, you know, manage social media and like all these things. And so we are having to learn things that are not in our skill set and so that It's nice that you're able to help people in certain areas because you're not focused on teaching them all about business, like what you're specifically talking about money mindset, correct?
2: Yes. I do have a colleague, Dr. Heidi K. Begay um, and I. We have another business called The Pivoting Musician where we do train musicians on how to set up their businesses. So it's kind of a nuts and bolts, ground up How do you figure out your audience avatar? How do you set up your business model and all of that? So I do do that kind of work. But personally, a lot of the speaking opportunities I'm doing when I'm brought into colleges and universities or churches even is about this money mindset stuff and particularly about shifting the relationship with money because people don't always have the greatest relationship with money. And we can talk more about that later if you want.
1: Yeah, for sure. I I really resonate with your story because and I think Lisa probably does too because we did come out of teaching and I think we get told a lot of times you're just such a great teacher and so you should be a teacher in the only way that we think of teaching and that is being in a classroom whether it was for me elementary and middle school, for Lisa middle and high school, for you, you know, upper education. But I I just love seeing God say, "Hey, there's other opportunities here to use that exact skill set." in just a different way. And I don't I don't think people see that or take the risk to figure out what that is. That God says, "Hey, you can still do this, but you can pay the bills a different way with the same skill set."
2: Absolutely. In fact, I I've been using this other term rather than skill set. And okay. I've been using the word talent stack, which is something I got from the cartoonist Scott Adams. He's the guy who created Dilbert. But okay. it's the idea of your knowledge, your experience, and your skills, all the things that make you you, that's your talent stack, right? Like you both have ed degrees. Well, I'm assuming you have ed degrees. I know Sarah yes. has ed degrees. Yes. <laughs> and you have experience. And let's say for sec- teaching second grade. So you've got in your, your, your bachelor's of education. You have your licensure. Maybe you have a specialty in reading. Who knows, right? But what makes you you? It's all that other stuff that makes you non fungible. And the thing is, is the way we teach people, the way we train people and the the stories we tell communicate this idea that you just have to, you know, check all these boxes. And when we've checked all the boxes, the problem is, is what there's nothing that makes you different from anybody else. And that's the idea of being fungible. You don't want to be fungible. So when you develop your talent stack, you're looking at all of these things that make you unique. And that also includes other um, soft skills and hard skills, communication, mentorship, even writing, anything else that communicates exactly your uniqueness. And that's why I'm calling it talent stack rather than like a skill set, because you can also grow these things. Mm. As I was transitioning into these areas, some of the, the skills I had to develop were my public speaking skills and, uh, my communication. Now I've always felt like I'm moderately good at it since I felt like I was a successful teacher as, and my students always experienced growth and change, but getting up in front of people is different yeah. when you're giving a speech or a training in a presentation versus uh, classroom style education, or even being a podcaster. And as I learned more about being a business owner and taking what makes me, me, I saw that there's an almost infinite number of opportunities because a common trap that a lot of business owners make, whether you're Christian or not, is this idea of, well, we wait for permission. And we think that there's just a few number of possibilities. There's only X amount of ways I can serve this group of people or monetize my skills or make a business. And the truth is, is it's almost infinite. It's vast. So the way I like to think about it is if this circle, it's a Venn diagram, so I'm describing this for all of you non-viewers out there. You have your talent stack in one circle, and then the other circle are the people you want to serve. What are their wants, needs, and desires? What is driving them to make decisions? What are they afraid of? What do they hope for in the future, and who do they want to be? And where those two circles intersect are a whole bunch of ways that you and only you can serve them. So for me, what's happening now is the second circle is shifting because I was speaking to creatives, but now God is saying, I want you to talk more to business owners. Now, I do believe creatives are business owners, right. but more of the executive Fortune 500 type person. Uh, so- That's what I'm thinking about, Sarah. Does that make sense? And that's also why I think that there are an infinite number of ways that we can serve people and be creative as we go about it. You don't just do a thing. No, you find a way to serve a group of people. Yeah. Yeah,
0: And finding that uniqueness is what makes you you and makes you valuable Mm -hmm. and makes you marketable, right? So
2: yeah, like you're a photographer, right? Right. Why should I hire you? For my daughter's senior pictures, as opposed to the 500 other p- people in the Denver area who can do senior pictures.
0: Right. Are you asking me to answer that question? Oh, <laughs> well, it's rhetorical. Feel free to go <laughs> right. for it. But it's because
2: right. you know, all that other stuff you bring with it, your yeah. talent stack. Yeah. Right. Like right. maybe you've actually been specializing in senior pictures, whereas, you know, that Yahoo down the street just took <laughs> pictures of his car for five years. And now he thinks he can be a professional photographer. Right. 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 right.
1: right. Whatever. <laughs> right. That, and that is the, like, the hard part of becoming a business owner is figuring that out. And I think that as Christians, a lot of times we have a unique challenge in that it feels like bragging or it feels like being boastful or prideful. All the things we were told not to be as Christians – you know, in, in church, but that's really what we have to do. What makes me different? What makes Lisa the amazing photographer that she is? And the only person I would hire for my senior photographer, what makes us do that? And I love how you've described that in that talent stack, uh, because it is, it is what God has given us and the things that we've worked so hard to be able to know how to do and accomplish and the degrees we've gotten and the experience we have. It's the combo of all
2: of that. And I don't think it's sinful or shameful to recognize Giftedness,
1: Mm.
2: right? We all, I hope, participate in communities, particularly church communities, where we recognize that some people are really good at some things. Mm -hmm. And this goes to Paul's analogy about the body, right? Some are meant to be teachers and some are meant to, you know, take out the trash sometimes. And we look at that and we say, these people are really good. They're great musicians, they're great teachers maybe they're good caretakers they're good pastors and that that's not sinful right but when we make that our idol mm. on our identity like oh i am the musician i'm the worship leader that's where the problem lies i am the photographer right. and for me right now it's it's recognizing this is my giftedness i am a coach i'm a teacher i'm a composer i'm all these things i'm a father i'm a husband i'm an entrepreneur But my identity is found in Christ, not in any of that. Hmm.
0: Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's, and that's, it helps to have that foundation of Him, which, I don't know how other other people do it. I mean, as Christians, like so much of who I am and what I do is based upon that. And I feel like in a lot of ways it makes things easier. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Makes things harder, too, but (laughs) but easier, too. So, um, Garrett, I love that you're kind of making this pivot into, you know, reaching a different demographic and God's calling you to something new. So you talk a lot with when you're coaching a lot about your money mindset and money knots and like things that people get hooked up on. Like, how are you using that to reach your new market?
2: Well, as I've grown as a coach and as I've thought more about this and, um, I've kind of been trained under some amazing people too, who are helping me see that there's new ways I can serve people. Also, I'm a, on a constant state of growth myself. I see that these, what I call money anchors are showing up all across our culture. Uh, my congregation is dealing with several right now. and um, I just yesterday preached a sermon at a neighboring church that only had like 12 people that worship there. And so like, they've got a whole bunch of their own anchors. And so I just feel like God's saying to me, we need to talk about this stuff. We need to shift our relationship with money. I'm really having a hard time answering that specific question, Lisa, and I'm not sure why, but I see that like people who will run businesses, The executive types, they often set some sort of internal temperature, which is a Gay Hendricks big leap kind of idea. I don't know if you guys are Mm -hmm. familiar with him and his book around money and around their businesses. And that's what I'm trying to do because we will sabotage our work as business owners, as entrepreneurs, because we have bad relationships with money on how it should function, what our role is should be with money and what money's role should be in our lives. So I'm hoping to use these discussions to transform a whole section, impact large amounts of people, but I'm just doing it through the business owners right now.
0: So, realizing it's not just creatives that have this trouble.
2: Oh, it's, it's not. Like
0: everyone. Is everyone this has
2: trouble. it. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. So talk about these money anchors a little bit. I'd love to hear a little bit more about that.
2: <laughs> sure. Well, a money anchor is really a, a way of thinking and believing about money. And I, I have a kind of interesting relationship with anchors by itself. And Sarah probably remembers this, but. I have anchors all around me. Like I, it's tattooed on my back. We, I put it on all my music scores because the anchor is the ancient Christian symbol for hope, which is my last name. For those people who live on the East Coast, the Rhode Island flag is an anchor and it literally just says hope on it. So we create anchors to keep us safe. We drop them into the ocean during the storm so that our ship doesn't sail away it keeps us from colliding into the rocks and really encountering danger. So anchors are designed for good things. And we create money anchors in our lives, either culturally when uh, our culture wants us to believe certain things like real artists starve, which is something I'm sure you've encountered as a photographer, Lisa, right? Or Mm -hmm. uh, teachers don't make a lot of money. Like that's a common saying. Not all teachers don't make a lot of money. We can account for that. But these are examples of anchors or some we create ourselves because of situations that we've had. We could have gone through some sort of hard time or uh, someone could have said something that caused us to get a little defensive. And what happens is we drop these anchors into this metaphorical ocean floor and then we don't deal with them. We often don't want to acknowledge they're there. We don't want to see them. We don't want to deal with it. But when we try to move forward now, even with the wind is pushing our sails in the direction we want to go, we can't move forward because the anchors are still stuck in the bottom of the sea. So we have to change our relationship with these ways of thinking. The ways of thinking often keep us in old patterns that are unhelpful. Sometimes there are things that uh, we learned as a kid Sarah and I have a mutual friend, mentor and coach named Tane, who kind of helped set me on this path. And She would often say that people run money with their inner nine-year-old because we learned these things, these ways of thinking as children with a child's understanding. And now as adults, we fail to bring in a more comprehensive, mature understanding of our relationship with money we're still running it like our inner nine-year-old. Does that answer your question?
0: Yeah. 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 I love that.
2: So that's what, that's what an anchor is. And so there are many, many kinds of anchors. And we could talk about a few if you want.
1: Yeah. I would love to know in particular about as business owners, those anchors that really impact us. Because it's like so many things in our business, they can be both good and they can hold us back. Exactly. (laughs) We we want good money anchors. It sounds like in your analogy, there's some that are good that keep us safe from hitting the rocks Mm -hmm. and from sinking and from getting too carried away like we can as business owners. But then there are these anchors that are just dead weight and preventing us from from moving forward. So what would you say are a couple of those that are really related to business owners um, that are holding them back that you're just like, man, let's work work through these because you could really get some growth if we just you know, released some of these old anchors. Yeah.
2: I was thinking about this in preparing for this conversation and I, I fa- have a short list of some that I think are common, particularly for business owners. And I think we can also make them even more relevant to Christian business owners. Okay. So one of the first is what I call the it's money's fault anchor. And this is when we anthropomorphize money And when we try to make money, the reason why things happen or the reason why things are, and you know, this money anchor exists because you often will believe or repeat little aphoristic sayings that you've learned or our culture says so let me, let me seed the field. And then Lisa and Sarah, let's come up with a more comprehensive list. And I think your audience okay. will probably resonate with these, okay. but some common sayings would be things like, well, money doesn't grow on trees or mm-hmm. rich people. Aren't as nice as poor people. Money is the root of all evil, which is a misquotation of Correct. What, uh,
1: the a verse in Matthew. <laughs> the <Yeah>. Bible.
2: <laughs> then what does the verse actually say? The love of money the is, love of is money. the root of evil,
1: and you can't serve two masters.
2: You cannot serve two masters, but money itself is not the root. All right, so Lisa, Lisa, do you have an example of a common one?
0: Oh, God. Um, I was going to say money grows on, money doesn't grow on trees, but oh, I took that away I'm not you. made yeah. of money. I'm like, not made of money. I, yeah. I say mm-hmm. that to my kids all the time. What do yeah. you think I am, made of money? So Yeah. yeah the, I, I can't think of another one off the top of my head, but those for sure came to mind.
2: Uh, Some things that are common culturally at this moment, the zeitgeist would be like money makes people mean, right? If you look at movies, TV shows, books, popular culture, who is always the bad guy? The rich person. The rich person. The mogul. The greedy (laughs) capitalist. The business owner. The thing is, is that small businesses make up something like 60 to 70% of all the businesses in the United States and up to three quarters of all the jobs in the United States. Does that make them Are we all really mean? Right? Yeah. No. What about in order to have more, someone else has to have less, Mm -hmm. which is kind of a fixed pie mentality, Mm -hmm. right? So these are all examples of sayings that we've bought into and believe, and we can begin to recognize them as lies. They're not truths. There are two aspects of this that counter this anchor. The first is that money is uh, reflective, not causative, Mm. which means it will make something that's already there more, or it will reveal what's there. If someone is already greedy, if they just have more money, they're still greedy. They're still more greedy. If someone is already generous, having more money gives them an opportunity to be more generous. One of my good friends right now is nearing retirement. And what makes him most sad is that his retirement income will be less on a cash flow basis. And that makes him sad because then he won't be able to do what he loves, which is to take people out to lunch, have deep conversations and gift people money. So he's a generous spirit. It makes it more. We often want to blame money for our situation. Well, it's money's fault that I can't pay my bills this month. Is it though? Yeah, probably not. Probably not. And the other truth is that money is just an idea. Money is an agreed upon concept on what are we've culturally said, this is a way for us to measure and exchange value. What money is, the object, the thing we call money, is completely subjective. And so we often conflate the ideas of money and wealth and what money can do. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. So some other anchors, and we'll just kind of hit them really quick, but um, the overcautious anchor, which is this tendency to... uh, overly protect what you have, and overvaluing risk. Now, the Bible does instruct us to count the cost before we take an action. However, we are also rewarded clearly in scripture by taking risky action. And I just finished uh, teaching a Sunday school class uh, on the book of Judges. And one of the biggest takeaways for me was in the story of Gideon what God does to encourage Gideon is he says, I will be with you. And the more I dug into that, it seems like that's kind of God's trump card. Whenever God's people are afraid, when they're worried and anxious, this is what God says. He says it to Moses, to Joshua. He says it to Gideon. He says it to Isaiah. He says it to the disciples and to the church when he's ascending into heaven, right? I will be with you. And so What are we afraid of? Why are we overvaluing caution and in particular with our money? And this is really related to the other anchor I want to say, and this is important for business owners, which is that I have to keep it, it being money in order to grow richer. Hmm. So let me kind of move to a high level here of thinking. What is a word that we use to describe money in our culture? It's currency, current to flow. Like we have a currency with electricity, with water. And if we stop either the beginning or the end of the flow, what happens? There's no more current. And one of the things that we do in our lives, we do this personally and we do it a lot in our businesses, is we say, okay, well, I've just got to, once it comes in, I've got to keep it. So stuff doesn't flow out anymore. And what I have found, especially with the people I've been coaching, is when they get to that moment, the inflow dries up too. It's like God saying, I'm expecting you to bless others with the blessings you're getting. And so you have to also let it go. So one way to practice this is to be practice gratitude for the receiving and practice gratitude for the giving. Sometimes when we get to the end of the month and we're having to pay our bills and it doesn't feel like there's plenty in the bank account, it becomes very tense and tight what it would it be like if as we wrote those checks we prayed for it and said god thank you for this money i hope it blesses the business i'm sending it to which could be the you know the utility company and their employees and for keeping the power lines running and all of that and letting the money flow out and practicing philanthropic giving even as our business how are you blessing those At the same time we do that, we can also keep a portion as profits for our future development and growth and for the well-being and security of our loved ones
1: that 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 last one's definitely a money money anchor that i see a lot of people in business doing they they have this stoppage of flow and it's like you've got to take that money and reinvest yep and and keep it flowing in your business because that's how this works this isn't about getting a stack of cash right now and then sitting on it well then no. you're gonna eventually spend that down and you're not going to have it and so I, I i can really resonate especially with that last one i mean the other couples as well but i see that a lot of, I've got this money, but then we go back to what you were saying, we we kind of deal with it like we when we were nine years old, and we just want to hoard it, Yeah, <laughs> we want to keep it and we want to like stick it in our mattress. And that's actually not what God says in the Bible at all. No. Even if you know, even if you look aside of the generosity piece, which is in there, he's saying now, now you go and you spend it and you hire workers and you bless other people and you reinvest it, you know, sometimes that means Facebook ads, so you can bring in more clients, mm-hmm. we have to be able to do that. So what would you say to people who are listening and are like, wow, I've got one or more of those money anchors. I've probably got more that Garrett could speak to. What would you say to them? I I see that these are holding me back. What do I, what do I do? I've got all these things that are holding me back. I want to do something about it. What's my next step?
2: The first step is seeing them, recognizing Mm -hmm. them. And then the next step is to begin to release them as much as you can. Because you, even though these anchors were created to keep you safe or to prevent future damage or fear of change, they are now preventing you from getting where you want to be and the change you want to make or what God is trying to do in your life. So releasing them. And I think the, the biggest thing that people can do is to get into the practice of gratitude. Shifting the fear and anxiety to one of absolute thanks and praise. And when we do that, weird things happen. I see this in my clients all the time. When they make that shift from worry to just a place of being thankful, more opportunities come their way. They're able to see new ways to serve their audience. And it it's almost like God turns open the taps a little bit. And I'm being very cautious here because this is not prosperity gospel. And I'm not saying just do this and you will be rich. That is not it at all. Right. But you then can rely on God's blessing and God's giving rather than your own work.
0: Yeah. And our minds are so powerful. Like we don't really realize how those things are holding us back. Yes. I love the thought of just like, as you're right, well, we don't write checks anymore, but as you're online paying your bills, just being thankful and grateful and how that can really just change how you think about everything. And that's a takeaway I'm going to have It's like, instead of being bitter about like, ah, I got to pay bills again (laughs) this month, you know, just like, thank you, Lord, that I have enough in my bank account that I can pay this. And thank you for the person who's Mm -hmm. providing this service to me or, or whatever. I love that.
2: And I also would recommend shifting your language. So there's two big traps that I think people run into all the time. The first is the word enough, which you just used, Lisa. So I'm going to mm-hmm. harp on you for a second. Okay,
0: good. <laughs> bring it. Bring it. I, I'm here to learn. I'm here to learn.
2: With, with the word enough comes a whole bunch of baggage uh, about lack. Often uh, the word enough makes us feel this tightening and this constriction or a little bit of anxiety rushing up our spines. What if we replaced it with the word Plenty. Right.
0: or abundance, right? Or
2: abundance. Oh. Yeah. Like I I'm right now I'm not in abundance is different from there's not enough. Because right. it's also future focused. It's it's looking towards a change rather than this backwards looking, oh there's lack kind of idea. So, I would encourage people to get rid of the word enough. And then the words should must have to need to All of that, again, is kind of oppressive. And we do this in our businesses all the time. Oh, I need to sell more. Well, I really have to place my Facebook ads. Or I need to create my content this week. I haven't sent my email. I really need to do that. I must. I need to. I have to. And all of that is unhelpful. When we shift our language to words like, I get to. Now I have the opportunity to, or I choose to, your attitude will shift and you can move into it with more joy, more gratitude, and a bigger sense of abundance. And when you're in that place of gratitude and abundance, those anchors get smaller and often they, have, they disappear. So to Sarah, this is all to answer your question. What do people do? Yeah, And I think those are some good steps.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We talk a lot about those on the podcast in other terms of, you know, I say all the time, what you don't name will rule and reign over your life. And that's mm-hmm. the same principle that you're teaching. These anchors are going to hold you back and they're going to to rule and reign over your life. Um, and and we talk a lot about using the right language and having the right attitude and that how that can help. But here's my question. Because when I first heard a lot of this stuff, you know, of like, Sarah, just be more thankful. Like it really does just come down to this simple step of, of having a different mindset and, and being, you know, more in an abundance mindset. You know, I believe Jesus said, I came to bring you life and to bring it abundantly. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean a pile, of st- a stack of cash per se, but there is an abundance life that Jesus wants for us to have right here on earth. He brought the kingdom of heaven. Down to us so we could experience it. What would you say to someone who says, Sarah, Garrett, Lisa, that's just a bunch of woo woo stuff? It really can't be that simple. Like, what would you say to that cynic that I was probably a couple of years ago that's like, really? I should do a gratitude journal. I should really just be thankful when I'm, you know, do, paying my thing. Really? You know, how do you how do you kind of help those people? Because I've seen the power of what you're talking about. I've experienced the power of what you're you're talking about. I've also experienced the negative side of, you know, God being like, I'm turning the tap off for a while because we've got some things to fix. What would you say to those those kind of cynics that are out there?
2: Am I talking to Christians? Sure. I would say because we're the we can be the worst. Like, let's just be honest. Oh Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Our inability. To live in God's blessings Mm. is not due to what we do or our strength or our talent stacks or the businesses we run. It's our lack in our faith in his ability to provide for us. Mm. So I would call that out as being a sinful behavior, Mm. actually. And... Can I I elaborate on that? Yeah, absolutely. This might take a few minutes. We're going to, this be the longest podcast (laughs) ever in your history. (laughs) Good stuff.
0: It's good stuff. We'll cut you off after an hour. (laughs)
2: Okay. (laughs) 59 minutes. Here we go. (laughs) Let's go. So, Judges is fresh on my mind because I've been living in it for like the last half a year, just really Mm -hmm. deeply studying it. If we look at Judges chapter one, After the death of Joshua, there's no unified leadership. And what we see is like, it's like a series of press releases about how Israel is doing, how all the tribes are dealing with conquering the land. And God gave them a clear mission, which was to clear the land of idols, right? And it was really hard for our 21st century years when he says, let nothing living remain in the cities I am giving. Right, right. It was harsh. He said, do not make covenants with the people and, and clear out the altars because God did not want his people to be contaminated by their sin. And when God was bringing Israel into the promised land, he was not only completing deliverance from Egypt, and he was not just fulfilling his promise to Abraham that his descendants will live here. He was bringing judgment upon these wicked and cruel and evil people. So what we see are nine of the 12 tribes are listed and how they did. And you can grade them. It goes from, okay, like A- minus kind of work with the tribe of Judah to all the way, uh, oh, what's the, the worst tribe? And it's like F. Like they didn't even try. It was the tribe of Dan. They're like, you know what? I think we're just going to live in the hills. We're not even going to try. And what you get is a list of reasons. And in chapter 1, verse 19, Judah says, we could not drive them out. And other reasons include, well, those people had chariots. Their cities were well defended. Whatever. And what we see when we get to the end of chapter one is that Israel has a whole list of reasons why. And Sarah, I don't know if Joel's told you what one of Paul McCart's favorite sayings was, but for those who are not, you don't know, Sarah's husband and I, we are longtime friends. We go back decades and decades and decades, most of our lives. And we had a mentor when we were really young, when we were in middle school, who took us under his wing and taught us what it means to be a Christian completely changed the trajectory of our lives. And what this man, his name was Paul, would say, when I would give a week, uh, every week, a litany of why I didn't read the Bible of what I did or why I wasn't praying like I said I was going to do or why I kept sinning the way I kept sinning. And he would say, Garrett, you are so full of reasons, but you have no excuses.
1: Hmm.
2: And that's where Israel is at the end of chapter one. Then we get to chapter two. And in the first five verses, God condemns Israel. He says, you have not obeyed me. You mm-hmm. di- You made covenants with the people and you failed to remove the idols. So it's like this. Israel says, oh, but we could not. We tried. We really did. But it was hard. It, we didn't <laughs> know chariots. how. They had <laughs> chariots. And God responds with, but you would not. Mm. And... God's condemnation of Israel's behavior starts with him reminding them that he is the one who saves them. And then he continues by saying, he is the one who will always remain faithful. He says, I will never abandon you and forsake you. And still we have these problems. So Sarah, for those people who do not really believe that, who are struggling and they say, oh, that's just a bunch of malarkey, right? I don't need to do a gratitude journal. I would Say, do you really believe Mm. that God's promise is true? That he will be with you? That he will give you what you need when you need it? Unless you're sitting outside of God's will somehow, what we're actually saying to God is, but I could not. I didn't know how to figure out marketing. I didn't know how to serve my people. It was really hard, so I just didn't do it. And the last thing I want to do is get in front of the judgment seat and say, God, I couldn't do it because God's going to say, Garrett, you just wouldn't. Hmm. I gave you everything you needed. Hmm. And what that's does God so actually command us to do? Be grateful. Hmm. Right? And trust
0: and obey, right? Trust like, and obey. It's such a trust thing of like, we don't trust that he can do what he says he's going to do. And so that's sinful as well.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I believe in the god of the universe that created everything out of nothing, a man that can walk on water, right? That can turn water into wine, that can raise the dead
1: that can take Gideon's army of 300 and defeat, you know, a huge yeah. army and make them look like fools. Yeah. Exactly. We we look at the Bible and we think, oh, that happened so long ago. But yet we still say God is the same. He never changes. Well, if he's the God of the Bible and he can do all of those things, then he can still do that today for us in our business. He cares about our money anchors. Yep. He cares about our clients. He cares about us doing the work that he has for us to do. And I, I love how you tied it in to Judges. I know Lisa and I have spent the last few years reading through the Bible cover to cover. There's so much good stuff in the Old Testament that we can learn about God's judgment, which we do see in the book of Judges. But more importantly, I think we see His grace and His generosity to us because He's always providing ways for us to come back. Even in Judges, it's like, okay, you didn't get it right. I do condemn you, but here, let's try again. Let me equip you. Let me get rid of some of those, you know, wimpy excuses. You have your reasons and <laughs> let's try again and let's do it again. And, and I just see God's love for us over and over and over again in those mm-hmm. stories. And we just have to take hold of that power. We're sitting on it in the power of the Holy Spirit and we're ignoring it and not actually taking it into the in, into our business and, and activating that power that we actually have.
2: Right. And, and this is true, not only on a personal level it's on our churches and it's in our businesses. Yeah. We
0: get stuck with, you're right there. It's a great word. money anchors is such a great way to think about it and to, to describe it. And, and the things I've, I've taken away from this podcast, there's so many good things. I think everybody listening can, can take from this, but just being grateful and to get rid of the excuses to, to walk in trust and to believe God can do what he says he's going to do. And then, and moving forward, we have to take the steps too. Like we can't just, sit back and expect god to do all the work. We have to we have to move forward in our businesses too.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. And one thing that we didn't get to talk about and I want to hit real quick before we end is to think about transformations not transactions. Cuz mm-hmm. that puts the clients first. We often will will look at the bottom of the line and we'll say, "Well, not enough sales happened," right? There's that enough word again. And we're focused on the money part. And this is another money anchor. It's like, okay, well, is the bottom line where I want it to be. And we're not thinking about who we want to serve. Who is the audience that I'm trying to help change their life? Who am I helping get what they want? What are their dreams? How am I helping them keep their fears at bay? This is what we do as business owners. This is us standing in the middle saying, I can help you. And if we think about transforming our customer, through our marketing, through the content we create, and even through the stuff that they buy from us or the services that we sell to them, then it helps put us even more into this place of gratitude and abundance because it becomes not about the transaction. And now you can develop a relationship with your audience, with the people you want to serve. And people do business with those they like, know, and trust. It's all, we, we, no matter what you are putting out in the world, it's a relationship business.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we just we just uh, aired a great episode back in July about this, about networking and connecting with people. And when you're doing that, it's not about what you can get from them. It's about what can I offer to you? Yeah, exactly. And it, and it, it makes it so much less salesy. It makes it so much more servant-hearted. People love that genuineness and authenticity. And you want to enter into a partnership instead of this sales relationship where it is just really a transaction.
2: Yeah. And that reminds me that these money anchors are not just for us there. We see them in our clients too. Mm-hmm. Like when I, when someone comes to me and says, Garrett, I want, I want to hire you to write a piece of music for me. And then I tell them my price. Oh man, all these money anchors come up, right? Money in the first position and making money. Um, the masquerading is money as I call it. So making this thing about money when it's not really about money, all these other anchors, so we see it in our clients. And so knowing about the anchors and how to help people get past it will help you make those transformative interactions as well. You know, when you're uh, like trying to buy a house, we've all bought houses, right? Yes. Real mm-hmm. estate deals. They're a big deal. It's a lot of money and it's really scary. Right. And people will walk away from deals that could be in their favor because of some stupid money anchor. Right. 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 So I think it's important for us as business owners to not just deal with our own anchors, but to be able to see them in our clients and our collaborators and in our spouses and our parents, because we'll try people will try to tie us into their anchors too. It's like, well, I'm dealing with this, so you have to deal with it. It's like, well, no, <laughs> let me help you a little bit more. Yeah, here's yeah. why.
1: Yeah. And I think as we've seen throughout the course of our conversation today, there's just a lot at stake when we're dragged down by these money anchors in relationships, in our business, in our relationship with God, in our relationship with others, in our generosity, Mm -hmm. and just our day to day living, uh, how much they can hold us back. And I think that that's a big takeaway for me is we can pretend they're not there. We can pretend they're small, or that doesn't really impact me. It's, you know, it's over there. But being able to say, this really is, A big deal. I need to address this to some extent. It might be a sin issue. I'm failing to miss the mark on this because I'm allowing this to hold me back. And so we've got to take some steps to name those, shrink them, remove them, dump them over the side of our ship so that we can get moving in the right direction.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Well, thank you for being here, Garrett. It's been great to talk to you and to learn more about this. Um, We like to do with our guests at the very end, we like to ask them uh, just kind of a fun question about to get to them a little bit more. So what is one of the things that you've consumed in the last month that's been life-giving? It could be a podcast, a book, a TV show. It could be a great meal that you had. It doesn't have to be super deep or spiritual, but what's something that you've enjoyed lately?
2: Something my wife and I have really enjoyed is the series Ted Lasso on Apple TV.
1: Oh, yes. Love that show.
2: It is extremely clever and well-written and very entertaining. And it's, it's spurred a lot of interesting discussion between my wife and I. And it's funny when we watch popular cultures like, Oh yeah, there's that anchor. There it is right there. Yeah, And like, here's all these lies people are behe- believing, but that is a, a show. I just couldn't recommend enough for adults, but yeah, it's great. <laughs>
1: love it. I believe and believe. I think that's what they say on that show. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and I believe in the God of the universe that you talked about today and what he really wants for us in our lives, in our business, in our money anchors, and uh, in that attitude of just being very grateful for all he's given us. And we are grateful for you. Thank you for coming on today's show. If people want to connect with you and work with you through their own money anchors, how can they do that?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm really easy to find. Uh, Garrett Hope, dot com. So two R's, two T's. And if you go to my website up on the top is a drop down menu item called coaching, and you can find a money relationship quiz. It's like 23 questions, but it will help kind of give a little insight on where you're at on some of these things. Uh, And I would love to help you out with that. That's something I can give to your, your audience for free. And if people wanted to reach me through that website, that's the best way to do it
1: great. And we'll have all of those links in the show notes. So thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Garrett. And we hope you have a great week.
0: Thanks for joining us for today's breakdown. If this episode has empowered you, please leave a review and share with a fellow CEO.
1: Remember, you are the expert of your business. So break it down your way.